Hey, everybody, it's Mike from the Mike Widener Show, powered by SonicWeb Studios. Visit online at SonicWebStudios.com for all your needs and brought to you by our official sponsor of the Mike Widener Show, international war-winning author Mia Mosul Zia Missing, available on Amazon and paperback and ebook. We're here with an amazing gentleman who's been in the business for quite a long time, businessman, also an educator, an athlete, a coach, an author, a military vet, a traveler, a volunteer, a graduate. He's also an author of uh, quite a number of documents. He also was, was a radio host as well, too. And he also discusses just about everything and anything under the sun. He's a master storyteller, and he's from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Grew up in the area. Live, ladies and gentlemen, from Plus Studios in the city of brotherly love, somewhere on the East Coast. The very multi-talented um, author, radio host, and extraordinaire, Marty Ford. Marty, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Thanks for joining us today. Well, hello, Michael. I, I, after that, I, we might as well sign off because you built up the expectation so high. I don't want to be able to disappoint folks. <laughs> no, no, no. You're not disappointing at all. In fact, you know, talking before the on, on the air, we've done in a classic way, like going to a radio station, radio booth and all that. It's like you cover these things. You know, you have break bread, by the way, and that's something we can... um all share about breaking bread. So first of all, you, um, you're from Philadelphia. You're a businessman, educator, athlete, coach, author, military vet, traveler, volunteer, graduate. You also, um, ha had a number of, uh, documents. You also published as well too. You also, um, had, a, had a radio show as well too. And simply just, um, for those young, young listeners out there, we just want you to hear straight from the gentleman who's been around a long time and experienced a number of things. And uh, before getting to all that, um, you know, just tell us how you first, first got started, Marty. First got started in what? We're going back to... Just go way, way back from your days of Philly. Oh, well, I grew up in Philadelphia, lived in the row house uh, in a neighborhood. Neighborhoods back then were somewhat unique. They were divided up... Uh, culturally amongst di different people from different countries so you had an irish neighborhood a german neighborhood a polish neighborhood all kinds of different neighborhoods because people like to live uh amongst themselves this is in the 50s and 60s a little different now so i'm going back a little bit people like to live amongst themselves eat their familiar foods listen to their traditional music uh dress in their country attire and of course, tell stories, the elders to the young kids, stories about coming over to America, how the struggles were, what they did, how they value education and family and so forth. The thing that was unique was most people took the bus or the train or subway, or we called it the L for elevated in Philadelphia, mm -hmm. during the day to commute to work. So you had a chance to assimilate and you know hopefully learn and grow from the experiences of meeting and talking with people other than your own kind uh which was quite unique um so i, I that's how i grew up knowing a lot of people i also grew up on the playground to philadelphia with absolutely no basketball skills nothing but a love of the game and all heart and up until age 69 when covid came and my body gave out i was playing pickup basketball and pick up soccer two to three times a week. Both games I originally was part instrumental in uh, developing and making sure we had enough guys to play. And there were two distinct different groups, soccer and basketball. And the thing that got me uh, about the basketball was a lot of local guys and so forth. But the soccer 
was it is an international flavor. Players from all over the world speaking all different languages, sharing the common ground of that round, white or multicolor ball and the rules of the soccer game on the pitch. So, and what I've learned is many European players speak multiple languages interchangeably and fluently. And until my wife and I traveled to Europe, I had no way of knowing that. But they, you know, they're having lunch in Paris and they say, well, let's go to London for dinner. And they can get on get interchange. Oh my goodness. The, I would love to do that. Paris oh. for lunch, London for dinner. Well, you take the train and you're there in a couple hours. And uh, that's why the and their kids, some of the players would bring their kids and they would speak multiple languages as well. Uh, here in America, sometimes we struggle uh, with English because English is the toughest, one of the toughest languages to learn. It, it does. Yeah. And I get people asking me all the time, it's like, yeah. How, how, why is it spelled this way? Why is it spelled that way? And why do you interchange and everything else in them? I mean, truly, I tell them I didn't have an answer. I just <laughs> I just learned it by imitating. That's where you're taught in schools. There was like no specifics. And, um, you, you know, I mean, you're right. English is one of the toughest languages to learn. You know, that uh, Russia okay. and um, Japanese, it's like, I mean, you think English is tough. Try Russian or Japanese. I'm like, oh, my gosh. I did speak a little Japanese when I lived in Okinawa during military, but certainly lost it all. Coming home, there was no one with whom to speak. But if you want a challenge for the English language, get a dictionary, a good-sized dictionary, and look up the word run, R-U-N. Mm -hmm. It'll have a page and a half of definitions and explanations, just for a little word like that. So anyway, I grew up in Philadelphia, graduated high school. I uh, wasn't the best of students. There was learning issues back then that no one knew what they were. Now they call it dyslexia. Um, so I went in the military for four years, traveled overseas for three years, came back, uh, had the same struggles with the dyslexia, but I learned to compensate uh, in several ways. So I started out at a county college, and then I transferred to Temple University, where all my credits from county college were accepted which saved time and money. And uh, I went to college, finished that. And I, I did some uh, student teaching. I'm, I'm a certified teacher. I did some student teaching. And what turned me away from it was a situation that's a little bit of a laborious story, but I must impart it on the audience to let them know that history can and does repeat itself. That's very true. In 1977, I worked at a high school that originally was one of the premier public high schools in Philadelphia in North Philadelphia, which is a difficult neighborhood uh, right where Temple University is. And that's where my dad, his brothers, and my grandparents had a little store and they lived upstairs, two bedroom bungalow or apartment, the three of them. They went to that school and then they all went, they all got drafted in the military afterwards for World War II. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so I did, I got an, an assignment to do some long, some substitute teaching just to get my foot in the door, which is the way Papa always taught us, get your foot in your door and let yourself be known and you'll be fine. So I got my foot in the door to substitute teach. And I had a good mentor at um, student teaching. She always told me when you're going to substitute, always have lessons with you, something, something to read, some crayon, something. This was a high school. So I got to the school 
checked in the office, got the uh, roster and the room number. I said, where are the lesson plans? Oh, we don't have any. You're on your own. Oh, no. Okay. But I was prepared. Good little preparation teacher that she was for me, Miss Karpinski. I love her way back then. So I got to class here. I'm the new kid on the block. And it's a, um, a uh, inner city school, uh, urban. Um, so I, I started to take attendance, you know, go down the list. And most of the, let's say, 20 kids on the roster, let's say 16 were there for absent. Okay. Bell rings come to first period. And about 12 kids show up, come into the classroom. The roster had 18. And by the time the 1030 midday snack was served, we were down to about four kids per classroom. Wow. And after that snack until 2.30, it was one or two kids per classroom. And I saw some other teachers on my way down to the office. And I said, is this happen all the time? She said, yeah, every day. They just come get, and go. So I was signing out at the main office, handed in the attendance sheets and the woman uh, secretary said, okay, thank you. And she started to look at him as I'm walking out the door. She yelled at me, young man, could you come back for a minute? I said, sure. Did I do something wrong? Well, sort of. Yeah, your attendance is off. I said, well, that's, that's who was in the class. Whatever the number of the kids, I put a check if they were there and a circle if they weren't there. Oh, no, you don't understand, son. Every kid is in every class every day. That's oh, how we, gotcha. That's how we get funding for programs and meals and all this stuff. I said, okay, well, I just got my, I told her, I just got my teaching certificate. I just graduated college a couple of weeks ago. I'm not going to put it at risk for that. And she said, well, if you don't sign it, we will. I said, fine. And then I, I walked out. I never went back. Now that was 1977. Why is that story important? Mm -hmm. Because in 2016, six years ago, our nephew got married in the suburbs of Pittsburgh, about an hour outside of Pittsburgh. And we were staying at a Hampton hotel, which we love, no plug for Hampton, but we love mm -hmm. their breakfast. And they have a breakfast room where you can get uh, eggs or yogurt or cereal or juice, whatever it is. It's a nice, nice business plan. So we're sitting with our two kids and my wife. And we're finishing up and it's packed. There were three weddings going on that weekend. It seemed like everybody was staying in the Hampton. Mm -hmm. Or everybody getting married pretty much like, you know, rush to the altar or something. So <laughs> Yeah, pre-pandemic. <laughs> so, they knew. It was a little foreshadowing there. So my kid, our kids and my wife went upstairs to start getting ready to go to the wedding. And I'm sitting at the table and there was a, a guy with his family there. Um, at the time, I was in my mid-60s, yeah, and he was, fellow fellow might have been 40, 42, young man. So we started talking, where are you from, blah, 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 all this stuff. Oh, you're from Philly, so am I. So what do you do down there? He said, well, I work in a, in, a, in a school as a substitute teacher, but I got out of that, and I'm going to, back to college to learn about technology. Nice. I said, well, what school did you t uh, do your subbing at? He told me it was the same school where I went, where I was subbing, where that attendance issue was a problem. So I said, well, tell me what happened. He said, I'll tell you what happened. I went in there and I got frustrated. There were no lesson plans. I was on my own, no support. 
and I had a sort of fudge, if for lack of a better word, alter the attendance records and I wouldn't do it. And they said, well, don't come back. And he didn't go back. So my point is from 1977 to 2016, not much has changed. And the ones who suffer and struggle the most, of course, are the kids and the neighborhoods and the families because they're getting shortchanged on education, which we value in this country. But I couldn't believe I was in awe. I sat there. My wife came down and said, you all right? I said, you won't believe what happened. And I, I told her that story. She said, oh, that's all well and good, but get upstairs and shower and get ready for the wedding. I said, okay. But my point is, generations who are the, the current generation often, oftentimes believes and thinks that they are the first ones to experience what's going on in the world today, whatever the issue is, good or bad, you know, um, and they're not. And they have to be, or they should be, they ought to be, they have to be, whatever word you want to use, they, they, they have to be informed about those things because it can alter the way they think and see the world, which is what we want them to do, exercise their critical thinking skills. So if I can get on the air and do my breaking bread, casual uh, soliloquies that I go on often too long about ad nauseum, to inform, educate, and empower. So the kids know that things that happen in Atlanta, in Minnesota, in Chicago, in Philadelphia, wherever these today was in St. Louis, it was horrible. Uh, they're not the first ones to experience these things, hunger, poverty, homelessness, healthcare, education, economic, lack of opportunities, lack of trust, um, racism, the whole thing. Um, but I, wanna, I want them to know that, like I said in the beginning, sometimes history has a way of repeating itself. Mm -hmm. And uh, the country needs to heal. People need to get rid of their anger uh, that they have towards things that about which they have very little information or knowledge, just what they perhaps see and read, or probably just see and listen to on the various media outlets. They have to know uh, that, that, that life is not different in many ways than it was two, three, four, five generations ago. There's still people struggling. There's still people hungry. There's still people uh, unaffiliated, it seems, with anything. Uh, there was a report tonight we were watching that the education gap is getting greater because test scores in math, especially math and reading, have plummeted due to the pandemic. And the, the demographic market that that addresses are the kids that need it the most, the ones that are falling further and further back. So that, that, that's one of the stories that I have about, hey, it's not new, you know, it might seem new to you, you might think it's new to you, but it's not to us who have been around. Often I tell a story or a part of it to some younger folks who will listen mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, courteously and respectfully, and they say sometimes, you know, you're pretty smart and wise. I said, no, I've just heard it before. I've seen it before. We've been through it. You've been through things before uh, that are occurring right now that you would talk to your 
family and, and, and neighbors and relatives and co-workers and so forth. Yeah, I remember that happening, something like that. Maybe not exactly, but in similar capacity, history does repeat itself. And uh, sometimes it's good and sometimes it's, oftentimes it's not, especially mm -hmm. when it's on a negative slide. Mm -hmm. So that's the kind of thing I want to do with Breaking Bread is to inform, educate, and empower, heighten awareness, uh, raise critical thinking skills, and have people believe that there's life outside of their world. I remember when I was doing student teaching in Philly, one of the tasks I had was to arrange for a school trip. So the first thing I thought of was, let's go to the zoo. Philadelphia Zoo is great. Mm -hmm. So, you know, coordinating the buses, permission slips, lunch money, whatever it was. And, you know, for the first time, most of those kids, it was, it was the first time they ever left their neighborhood. And this was seventh grade. So I guess they're 12 years old. They had never been downtown. They had never seen the Liberty Bell, Independence Hall, Delaware River, all that. They, they just lived in that little zone of their neighborhood, which is all well and good. But the world has expanded since that. And it, we're a global everything and wow. uh uh yeah i was shocked at that and the kids who were like the rugged uh for lack of a better word maybe the bully at mm -hmm. the time those kids were the first to be because i told them i said and we had a couple chaperones i said be at the bus by 215 we're leaving at 230 with or without you and that scared a lot of kids right? yeah i bet i bet they're not used to that no, and the first ones to the bus were the more rugged, aggressive, uh, first time out of the neighborhood kids. It was like we had a coach in high school said, um, practices at eight o'clock. If you're, if you're not here by 745, you're late, right? And so that's why I wanted to instill in the kids a sense of timing, discipline, respect, uh, and order and following directions, you know? That, mm -hmm. to me, that to me is important. Mm -hmm. And I think that is very important as well, too. There are some other topics as well, too. It looks like we're going to create um, a new, a new uh, show with Marty Ford about breaking bread. We'll talk more about that. But first, listen to the Mike Widener Show at themikewidenershow.com. It's powered by Sonic Web Studios. Visit online at sonicwebstudios.com for all your needs. Look at a professional website without breaking your budget. Sonic Web Studios is the answer. Sonic Web Studios offers fast, affordable custom web designs that blow the competition away. Call today, 1-800-303-3960. That's 1-800-303-3960. Or email to support at sonicwebstudios.com. Mention the Mike Whitener Show. Get 20% off your first project. Sonic Web Studios, take your image to the next level. Also, time to give an official shout-out to our official sponsor, the Mike Whitener Show, international warring author, Mia Mosenzia. If you love fast-paced mysteries, you love Missing by Mia Mosenzia. Available on Amazon and paperback and ebook. Missing is fast-paced and intriguing with an unforgettable twist takes place in four countries, two strangers, one target, where truth is illusion and those you love will be the first go missing. It's available on Amazon and paperback and ebook. Missing by Mia Molson C has garnered great reviews and Eve 11 endorsed by Howard's celebrities, including Joanna Cassie, Forge Riley, m &Ms. So grab your copy today for Goes Missing by Mia Molson Zia, available on Amazon. Also check out the Mike Widener Show at themikewidenershow.com over 40 podcast platforms heard in 100 countries, including Facebook, SoundCloud, Spreaker, Spotify, and 
iHeartRadio, Anchor FM, iTunes, Google Play, and more. Also on HamiltonRadio.net every Thursday night at 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central. Take us with you on any mobile device. Subscribe to the Mike Wagner Show on the YouTube channel. Follow the Mike Wagner Show on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok today. And for great gift ideas, go to Amazon.com. Check out the Mike Wagner Show podcast. T-shirts, pop sockets, throw pillows, tote bags, hoodies. Makes great gifts 24-7, Amazon.com. Check out the Mike Wagner Show podcast. And for more great gift ideas, go to Amazon.com slash Mia Molson ZF for great books like Missing, Once, and Wrinkles. Also T-shirts, pop sockets, hoodies, phone cases, and more. Amazon.com slash Mia Molson ZF. Check it out today. I'll support the Mike Wagner Show on Anchor FM, PayPal, and the MikeWagnerShow.com. Make sure you do so today. We're here with a businessman, educator, athlete, coach, author, military vet, um, also traveler, volunteer, graduate, and author and um, radio host from Philadelphia, PA, uh, breaking bread here on the Mike Wagner Show, Marty Ford. And um, and uh, I know this has never been brought up. And, uh, you know, how'd you first come up with uh, breaking bread? And, um, you know, you know, it seems like that you hear breaking bread, you know, takes on different meanings. And, um, you know, tell us about it and why is it important to be breaking bread? Well, <clears throat> I sound like Ronald Reagan. Well, he started everything well, with the word. Well, well I, but I got I gotta have those jelly beans. You, you want some jelly beans, Nancy? Here you go. I, I love you. And let's tear down that wall because we're getting bombing in five seconds. <laughs> you gotta have some humor in the 80s, I'll oh. tell you that. That's how the wall came down. Reagan was hilarious and he made the Russians crack up. <laughs> you the wall did a came great down impression. with his humor. <laughs> You did a great impression. That was wonderful. I just threw it out there because, you know, most of the time when someone, as they make a speech, well, you know, you know, well, you know, well, no, I don't know. That's why I'm waiting for you to tell me. <laughs> breaking well, bread, breaking bread comes from like an old family thing, because whenever we'd go to visit someone, family, neighbor, coworker, my parents and so forth. There was always that little box from the bakery with mm -hmm. uh, turnovers or strudel or whatever the bakery had. My parents always took a box to have. So when you went to someone's house, you always were invited to have a cup of tea, coffee, a cookie, something, glass of milk for the kids, whatever. So you, the way to get to know people is how? Break bread. Where is the common ground met? In the kitchen or in the family room with the TV off and you're breaking bread. You invite strangers. You know, I, I met some people when I first moved from, I grew up in Philadelphia. I moved to New Jersey, 1980, and I didn't know anyone. So a coworker was with a group of folks. He said, come by our house Saturday night for dinner. I said, well, I don't know anybody. He said, that's how you get to know people, you know? So mm. I did, we broke bread and I found a nice woman who cut hair for six bucks in her house. So I got my hair cut on a regular basis. But um, breaking bread is a common ground that is shared by people all over the world. When I lived in Okinawa, I used to bring perfume, cigarettes, toiletries, whatever they sold on base that I knew was hard for the locals to get, because I was the only American living in a Okinawan village, about 10 miles from the base. And they would invite me to dinner and we all sit on the floor. And I spoke, you know, this much Japanese, good morning, hello, and so forth. But I would bring things with and they would say, come for dinner. And so we'd sit on the floor and that's where I learned to use chopsticks. And by the way, the reason 
chopsticks are used, it forces you to eat slowly and take smaller bites. Portions. That is interesting. I've been I've been doing it for years. My dad taught me his um he worked for mobile oils, a regional manager. He um oversaw a number of stations. And every time we uh get get done going to see a Chicago Blackhawks, Chicago Bulls at the Chicago Stadium, we talk sports a little bit, go to a Chinese restaurant, you eat with um, you know, you know, you know, chopsticks and everything. I thought it was a fad, but that was a good point. I'm glad you brought it up. Eat slow, yeah, well, take your time, and uh yes. Digest and converse with people because in america what do we do shove everything in <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like we're a vacuum cleaner just shoving food in anyway uh so you broke bread and that's how i got to know people and it's the first thing people do when you come to someone's house you know you break bread and um business they do that i remember when i was in business selling industrial equipment i would call a customer and say let's go out to lunch or and uh, talk business for a few. And so we have a sandwich, cup of soup, talk business, but we didn't know each other. It was like going on a, a date with a stranger, but it was mm -hmm. business. So, you know, it's an acceptable practice and I'm sure it's done in some capacities now. I don't know, cause I'm out of that loop uh, for the moment. Mm -hmm. so it, breaking so, I'm sorry. It, it, it's also nowadays, it's like, you know, Zoom calls, video conference or, um, FaceTime yeah. everything, or you're talking to phones and all that while you're, um, <laughs> you, you know, chowing down the subway. You download a coupon for like buy one get one free, or you <laughs> order from McDonald's app and uh, whatever else, and um, you know, break bread. It's just like you know, they probably sent through um by email or uh, send it by phone or whatever, or an emoji or something like that. So, <laughs> <laughs> I love your humor, Mike. It's wonderful. What so. It, it, Anyway, go ahead <laughs> with with breaking bread. I just thought it was a good way. Let's let's get to know each other. And so the bread are my stories that I hope feed and nurture, uh, nourish, not nurture. I hope they nourish the soul of the person or the people listening, because I want them if they can take one thing away from one of my stories and say, wow, I didn't know that or I didn't think of that before. Uh, it's enlightening and empowering uh, for me. And it, it's a motivator for me to keep going and continue doing what I love doing, which is uh, helping people get to know what's going on in the world. Because as I said before, everything I put out there is limited by the truth and facts. No need to fact check. There's no disinformation. There's no misinformation. Uh, it's, it's just straightforward. And I try to use a little bit of humor and silliness uh, embedded in there because some of the topics uh, can get serious as uh, again, the uh, story about the school attendance, which I found remarkable. And I mailed that, that story I sent you about school attendance that I just digressed upon. Mm -hmm. I mailed it to the Philadelphia newspaper, the former Philadelphia superintendent of schools and three reporters from the Philadelphia Inquirer who I think in 2019 did a story on that topic. And wow. I wanted, and I mailed, and I found an email, I think for two of the journalists and I sent it to them and I never got a response because, you know, that would be me taking away their byline and credit. And I didn't want to do that. I just want them to let them know that their reporting is spot on accurate and uh, straightforward because I'm the guy who experienced it. You know? mm -hmm. and, and just like your partner um, or your friend you talked to about, 
30, close to 40 some years ago, the same thing. Substitute teacher went into a North Philadelphia school, the same thing. Oh, you're supposed to alter this so we can get the funding in. He didn't like that whatsoever and, um, went, and you know, did something about it and um, left teaching and uh, started pursuing um, technology, which I think is kind of an offshoot. It's like you can teach um, technology at school these days, not necessarily, you know, just like with um, grade school kids and, um, and, and whatever else. And since one of the subject about, you know, the journalists getting on a story, the big story I got in Philadelphia, which I was surprised that um, they're talking about in impeaching the, uh, the current um, district attorney of uh, Philadelphia for his uh, stand on crime policies and everything else. They're about to impeach him. So it, that, I, that kind of connected to us. It's like, you know, a lot going on as well, too, with uh, Philadelphia. Yeah, Mr. Kras, Krasner, I think his name is. Mm -hmm. I think there, you have to have consequences unless, because uh, the alternative is chaos. And right now there might, and I'm, not, I'm uninformed. Uh, I, I, I know I'm familiar with a little bit of it because I, I like to read some of the things that go on in my old hometown because I live in New Jersey since 1980. Uh, but I know there's people who support him and people who don't. Now, I'm, I'd like to be apolitical, but when things keep repeating and repeating and repeating and there's no consequences, what do you learn? That's like, you know, a kid in the classroom who talks out, misbehaves, stands up, is rude. If there's no boundaries set, no limits set, no, you know, confronting that type of, it's going to go on. And what it does is it ruins it for everybody else mm -hmm. and it, it instills fear. Because you're nurturing uh, uh, the bully mentality, and that's not a healthy environment. Mm -hmm. Right, and, and he also talked about it as well too, like with um, you know, you know, being about um, you know, those that whine, complain, yell, and everything else. And of course, you know, the best way to do is like you know, take medication. It's like what happened to just like you know, going out to out to play, work, volunteer, and everything else, and. Um, and, and of course, you know, for bullies out there thinking yeah, everything, it's like, you know, you know, try working as a fast food worker, cab driver, truck driver, teacher, school bus driver, everything else is like they probably put up more abuse in, in the, anything else. Well, you've touched on a, a real sensitive issue because um, working in a school in an environment conducive to learning and all that good stuff, I look around at the teachers. Well, first, let me backtrack for a minute. For all the people who whine, yell, scream, holler, complain, badger, harass, and, and embarrass themselves, I challenge you. I challenge those folks for one marking period, which I think is about 10 weeks in a public school, one marking period, walk in the shoes of a teacher. And we'll pay you for a whole year's salary of a first-year teacher which is maybe 40 to 50,000, I think. Mm -hmm. Go do it. Make, let, follow the state guidelines for curriculum. Create your lesson plans. Have all the supplies that sometimes you spend out of your own pocket for, right? You know teachers spend their own money because there's mm -hmm. not enough in the budget for crayons or mark, whatever. Do all the e extracurricular academic professional development courses, um, get your master's degree, get a master's plus 30 degrees to make a few more bucks, uh, be a volunteer in the school, because every day I read the school emails and they're looking for a volunteer 
for some fundraiser, for some event, for some nighttime thing. Work back to school night after you labored all day from, they get there at seven. Uh, most of them leave three, four o'clock, but they stay on back to school night to visit with the parents and putting on a happy face when they're exhausted and have to be back at seven o'clock the next morning, you know, arrange a blood drive, arrange a field trip, a bus schedule, a, a destination, activities, nurses, safety, all the protocols that have to go involved. I could go on and on about the list. So walk in the shoes of a teacher for 10 weeks, earn uh, the first year teacher salary and see where you stand on your, when you want cameras in the classroom now? You know, I used to install floors when I got out of the military during college. So I'm on my hands and knees and you have to cut with a, a straight edge and a, and a razor. When a seam, you make a seam and then you glue it together. Well, when it was time to cut the seam, invariably, the, one of the people in the house, usually the uh, mother of the kids was home during the day at the, in those days in the 70s. And she would come in and watch what we're doing. And politely as, I, as politely as I could, I'd say, ma'am, could you please leave the room for a few minutes? Because we're about to make this real delicate cut in your floor that we want to last for 10 years, even if you don't walk on it. Mm -hmm. um, and she'd say, oh, sure, sure. I said, because if you don't, chances are part of my finger is going to be in your seam. <laughs> you know, I'm going to have a oops, and I don't want that pressure. So oh, you yeah. put it that's like putting the cameras in the classroom. You're not trusting the teachers. Granted, there are some, you can't for whatever reasons, and hopefully they get vetted out before any terrible things happen. Not always, as we know. But for the most part, walk in the shoes of a teacher. Do what they have to do. I see them come to work, and they all have two or three bags filled with papers and supplies and materials for the day. When they leave, the same bags are going out, papers to be corrected. Uh, I saw a woman yesterday, it was Sunday, and she was working on paperwork for her students. She's a, uh, a teacher of kids who have needs, so they have to document everything of the day. Documentation, documentation, documentation. Uh, so I challenge everybody who's whining and complaining to do that. And the reason I do that is because when I was coaching youth sports, our kids played soccer, basketball, and baseball, boy and a girl. And uh, so I was coaching. I like to coach their teams, be part of the community, give back, all that stuff. So invariably, every year, especially basketball season, um, parents would come up. And I had a clipboard with name, uniform number, playing time minutes, uh, allergies, whatever, all the important information. Had a bag with uh, first aid kits, uh, ice packs for a boo-boo bunny. Invariably, a person would come up and say, hey, Marty, you know, my kid's not playing enough. Or you should be doing this. You know, you're not playing good defense. You're not, you got to do this. You got to coach. So, you know, to silence the critics, all I did was I said, with respect, sir, here's the clipboard. I'm going home and watch uh, the Michigan game because my wife went to Michigan and we <laughs> like to cheer for them. You know how many people took the clipboard from my hand? Voila, nobody. Oh, oh no, I, I don't want to do that, but I'll tell you what to do. No, don't do that. Volunteer and get in, get in the game. Don't mm -hmm. be a critic.
that that seems to be a mentality I hear a lot these days. Words is like they'll criticize, but then you, you give them the opportunity, they back away. You know what that reminds me of? It it seems like that the um the Aesop's fables and the nursery um stories is pretty much gone by the window. You remember the um the the little red hen that baked bread and everything oh. else. Yeah, yes. and in fact, you know, I think this should apply to this country as well, too. The uh, the little red hand had this great idea of uh, baking bread, and who wants to help me uh, bake bread? You know, I will, I will. I will. Throw, throw in uh, every animal in the book and whatever, and then when it came to it, it's like, who wants to help me um, gather the goods? Not me, not me, and all across the board. Who wants to help me uh, mix? Not me, not me. Who, who wants to help me uh, bake? Not me, not me. But then when the pro comes out, who wants to eat the bread? I do, I do. And he's like, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I did this. I did that. I did that. You did not do it. Therefore, I get to eat it. So I, I think that's just the whole problem we have in this um, country as well, too. It's like er, er, everybody wants bread, piece of cake, but nobody's willing to um, make it or uh, put effort into it. They, they won't even go shopping for it. They'll order it. That too. Yeah. It's like, you know, they'll just like take a phone online and like that. Beep, 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 everything. And there's your order right there and uh, send it off. And they don't get in one second. You don't get a response in one second. They scream and everything else. Instant gratification. It's like, you know, or it's just like they think they think these phones are microwaves. I'll tell you. So. Well, they can't. <clears throat> People have difficulty waiting in line at the bank to, for make a transaction waiting in line with one person ahead of them to get a cup of coffee for $6. But they'll stand in line for three days to get the newest iPhone or seats to the hot concert that's coming to town through inclement weather, no bathroom breaks, all that kind of stuff. They'll do that, but to wait for a cup of coffee for a minute, you know, I think um, engineers do time and motion studies and they time how long people will stand there. Let's say you and I go to the elevator. You, you're there first, you push the button. It'll be 15 to 20 seconds before I'll start pushing the button. They did surveys on, my numbers might be wrong, but everybody is impatient. Same thing, waiting in line for almost anything to check out. Now you do self-checkout, so it's different. They see how valuable those cashier or checkout people are, you know? Oh, Oh, there's no doubt. I think you touched on another topic as well, too. And um, and, and the, of course, it's the Mike Wagner show. We're doing a little inter interesting here, powered by SoundWeb Studios. Visit online at SoundWebStudios.com for all your needs and brought to you by our official sponsor, the Mike Wagner show, international warring author, Mia Molson Zia. And um, of course, you touched about the fact with, um, you know, Walmarts and everything else going, um, you know, no cashiers, cashierless and everything else. There was a joke going around on the, uh, Facebook. It's like, you know, if they have no cashiers, everybody's going to go to the loading truck and um, unload this, unload the stuff and they pay their own stuff. It's like, you know, it's, it's like, they feel like they're uh, being paid or paying Walmart just to um, unload the trucks and stock themselves and check out themselves. So yeah, it's just like, you know, you know, cashiers are quite important. Next they'll have, now we in New Jersey, we can't use plastic bags. You have to bring your own clumsy bags with you to, to shop and all, which is fine. So next they'll take away the bags that you can't open that you have to use friction to put your apples in. You know, they'll take away that and use something else. And I understand it's all based on economy, but somewhere along the line, economics, which I'm in favor of uh, and support, 
somewhere along the line, the human spirit has to be nurtured. And when we keep taking away things that make us human and civil and compliant and obedient and all, we just get more angered and frustrated, which fuels the behavior that we see at school board meetings, mm, at election yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, dominates kind of the headlines of anything else, yeah. Yeah, and so let's go back to simple. I don't say let's go back to 1950 because that's a myth, but let's go back to simplicity and being civil towards each other, which we can by saying some simple words. Please, thank you, yes, sir, yes, ma'am. Never saw it fail, you know, never saw it fail. A little common courtesy and decency and patience. You know, you drive on the highway, you see, even up where you live, there's traffic. <laughs> and, and of course, although North Dakota is sparse, we do have a good amount of traffic jams, except it's just maybe like, you know, maybe like eighth of a mile and um, everybody's respectful. Come on, pass through, pass through, pass through and um, yeah. everything like that. They didn't even stop for cows or, um, you know, deer jumping out or even like turtles from across the road. So <laughs> we stop here for Canadian geese because they're, there's a couple of places where they, they habitually cross. And so people know. And yet at the same time, when someone's trying to use a crosswalk and takes a step in, people don't stop all the time. Just learn behavior. Mm -hmm. uh, actually, it was unlearned and has to be relearned. <laughs> mm -hmm. and, 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 and certainly and then, is. And certainly is, too. And, of course, you have a lot of words of wisdom and uh, whatever else. And, of course, you know, you also got your mound of manure, you would start calling it, too. So. Oh, yeah, I got that. But it's all appropriate. It's all clean. I just use that as an alliteration. Um, you just touched on something that uh, sparked a thought. Of course, I can't remember it. But um, uh, it, it, go back to breaking bread. It's important to do that, you know. We do it with kids in another two weeks. They come trick-or-treating and you give them candy. Uh, and they're coming for, a, you know, a goodie. They're going to the house that has the light on where it's safe, you know. And mm -hmm. so, so kids get conditioned like that. <clears throat> but it's important to do breaking bread. I lived overseas for three years. And one of the greatest things I did was learn about the local foods. Not that I'm a foodie, although I could lose 20 pounds and not mm -hmm. notice it. <laughs> but uh, that's the way you get to know people is to eat, be part of their community. You know, we're the foreigners when we're overseas in the military. And so adjust, show respect and, and learn from them because I saw things I couldn't believe. The, the Japanese have a annual tradition. I think it's called Obon. It's a New Year type thing where everyone gets dressed up like they're going to Sunday prayers, kids, middles, grandmas and grand, and they have picnic baskets and they have pictures and they're pushing the strollers and carrying the babies and they're going to the cemetery to introduce the new children in the family, the babies to the elders that have passed. Wow. Now, I was, I was 19 years old and I was quite, or maybe I was 20. I was like, whoa, because I, again, I was the only American living in a Japanese community village. And the guy I rented the apartment from lived next door and he was outside and he told me what was going on. I said, this is fascinating. Just incredible that they go to this effort. And yet I learned that there are many cultures that have annual celebrations 
to show respect for their departed families. And, you know, it's universal. And that's wonderful. It's part of learning about culture. The differences are as great as the similarities, if not more. You know, the similarities uh, are more. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and just like we have in the United States at Memorial Day, where we honor those who had um, fought and served our country. And you also have the, uh, was it, the Day of the Dead in um, Mexico as well, too. And I think there's also... um, Another two like the still the still day where um they fought for freedom in uh, in France and there's also some um other other cultures as well too so I think that touched on a point you gotta have something once a year to um remember who you are or where your ancestors came from and everything and of course despite ancestry.com it's like you know <laughs> ancestry doesn't seem to be uh, touched upon a lot no and once you stop doing those things uh, I read something. So uh, probably on Facebook said when the elders pass in a family, a lot of traditions go by the wayside, maybe Sunday dinners, maybe holiday dinners, maybe religious gatherings, ceremonies, observances, and so forth. A lot of it's not picked up by the second and third generations who are here. And I've discovered this. Uh, You know what kids don't want? When I say kids, I mean the maybe the 28 to 35s, whoever's getting married and stuff, they don't want grandma's China dishes. They don't want the silverware. They don't want the, yeah. Because my brother called me and said, when is your daughter buying a house? Because I have our parents' good China dishes that I want to send to her. I said, said, man, she don't want them. They don't want them. (laughs) They don't have space for it, number one, but they just don't, you know, so that kind of tradition, you know, uh, Lennox, Noritake, uh, whatever, the, those are the two names that I know in, that make the good China dishes that were brought out for special occasions when to break bread in a family tradition. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, nowadays, like they'll take the chai and most likely some on eBay. <laughs> yeah, but... <laughs> Actually, down the street, uh, a woman passed, was 102 years old. So my wife went down there to look for the her daughter, who we knew was in town, and they were getting rid of a lot of the stuff that had been accumulated, stuff, I say. And so uh, the daughter told my wife, so my mother had six sets of good dishes, and I have no place to put them or give them, because there's nowhere to donate them that we know of. Uh, I don't know. So that's a lost art or tradition that's gone by the wayside. Plus, I think I don't I don't know if kids uh, receive those kind of presents, uh, a set of dishes or a set of silverware when they get married, as in the past. And I'm open to traditions changing and altering. And what happens is it's cyclical. Eventually, like our kids will say, boy, I wish I had grandma's dishes. <laughs> you know, yeah. Or it's just like grandma's recipes, grandma's shoes or grandma's yeah. clothes. You know, they could be coming back in style. You never know. <laughs> yeah, I know. Things cycle. It, you know, we're not not everybody's wearing bell bottoms right now, but I see some people doing it. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and of course, what we wear, too, could be our style, but cyclical, you know. You know, like say with uh, hoodies and, um, you know, that's cyclical or it's just like the ones you zip up cyclical or even like those um old, um you know, 
football jackets you wore with uh, your favorite team on, you know, that's cyclical also too. Yeah. Uh, every It's like seasonal, like the weather, although it doesn't change as often, um, but it does hopefully come and go. Hairstyles are the same thing. Not too many people get a crew cut as we used to call it, or a buzz cut. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, what else was a big hairstyle for girls or women? It was the beehive. And then in the seventies and I think it was the shag with some kind of long back thing. <laughs> it, it did. Yeah. And then it got the nineties. Thanks to uh, friends and Jennifer Aniston. You had, you had the do or something or the, <laughs> or, or the Jennifer look, you know, they all adapted to that. And, um, you, you know, it's just like, I can't picture the, you know, styles of cuts these days. It's like, it's all cyclical. You're right. My dad always said, remember one thing, son, and my brother, boys, remember one thing. It's not what's on your head. It's what's in it. <laughs> that's <laughs> true. Yes, that's true. <laughs> Certainly is. And, um, and of course, you also touch on that, too, like with, um, you know, what's going on in the country and America and, um, and, and everything else, too. It's just like, you know, you talk about, you, you know, us coming, say, to Germany, France or Japan, whatever we, we respect uh, their cultures. But then it's just like, you know, are are they respecting our cultures or are they trying to establish a new home or, or what? That, that if you, when you can answer that, you'll, you'll get the prize because it, that too changes from day to day. Uh, again, I I don't like to get political and, but, uh, I was the prime minister in England, six weeks, they're in the job and they resigned. Someone else came in right away. That's, I don't know if that's unprecedented or unusual, but um, it certainly makes you wonder what's going on in leadership, Mm -hmm. you know, because when you can't trust leadership, certain things happen when there's problems on in in the present and on the horizon. One, we don't respect language. We don't respect what comes out of our mouths. There's profanity, what we consider profanity. Everything's accepted anywhere and it's all over the media social media computer whatever it is the second thing is the gap between the haves and the have-nots gets greater and greater and the third thing is when you can't trust leadership what do you do what do you do if you like it doesn't have to be the leader of a country or a world could be your boss you know you can't trust them because they say one thing do something else or they create a toxic poisonous venomous workplace environment that makes it difficult to concentrate and focus on your tasks because you're always looking over your shoulder like a camera in the classroom with teachers. I know if I was teaching a class, I wouldn't want a camera in there. I'd rather have the person. You want to come and observe a parent, uh, whoever. And I think teachers get observed annually anyway by their contemporaries and maybe their uh managers, supervisor, whatever it is. But if a parent has an issue, come in, sit down, participate in the class. I'll include you somehow, or you can lead the class better yet. Oh, no, no, no. It's the same thing. Yeah, that's the same thing with that little red hen type of deal. Yes. (laughs) Maybe we should call the show Meet the Challenge instead of Breaking Bread. But I like Breaking Bread better. I I, I like that better, too. And, of course, you also mentioned as well, too, your little manifestos, too, that um, toxic workplace environments has been the root cause of uh, many great resignations too. And it can also be different in a way. It's like the great resignation, you know, part of it can be like a toxic workplace or, you know, just a ethic or whatever else. 
a friend of mine was working in a medical facility, small, four or five doctors. And this person was a, an integral part of the business, even though they were only there less than a year, they were brought in to do certain things. And promises were made by the, her direct supervisor about money and opportunities and responsibilities. And she, oh, this is good opportunity. Um, Papa always told us you can't bank potential, right? So what happened was the per the, this, her boss turned out to be a non-positive, healthy person. Oh boy. Made her cry almost every day. And we got, and finally, you know what she did? She gave two week notice without a place to go. And she left because my life was too valuable to put up with that kind of nonsense. Now, the guy she was working for was sort of entitled, spoiled, and all the other things that go along with being economically privileged and a doctor as well. So um, she left and through some luck and blessings, uh, found a job that is much better for her outside of that field. But that great resignation, it talks, 15 years ago, I was, that's uh, uh, a victim, let's say, of a toxic work, a boss who made kids cry. Kids who came to this facility where I was working with some of the worst life conditions you could ever imagine possible. And I will not elaborate on them now. They're so heart-wrenching and gut-wrenching. This person made kids cry. She had staff on their knees crying in disgust. No one walked out. And what happened was when this person came in on board, we had a staff meeting. And the first thing she said was, she was hired years ago by a educational organization in Missouri. And her job was to reduce staff. Mm -hmm. And she said, I did not have to lay off one person but I made life so miserable for those people. They resigned. And she did it with the finger pointing like I'm doing now, which is the rudest thing in the world. And I told my colleagues at the time, the world has changed in this building forever and ever. So gear up and be on the defense if you want to keep your job. And that's when I started taking high blood pressure medicine. <laughs> <laughs> but she was like, this was like the most angriest, just just horrible person. I don't know how you live a life and grow up to be 60, 70 years old at the time and be that miserable. That's what she was. She was just miserable, had no family, no children, no, no anything. Just went to work to make life miserable for everybody under her rule. And so wow. I know firsthand what it's like. And I try to avoid that. I go out of my way. If ever I see anything like it, I always try to use one of my silly jokes to break the ice, build rapport, gain trust, because that is a health risk that is has no boundaries, no limitations. And what happens is, I remember in the service, a couple of guys got rewarded for good performance. They got a rope that they wore around their shoulder, a yellow and a red, gave them a little authority, a little power. And everybody respected them because of their achievement. I gave you something to shoot for. I want to be that. I want to get one of those. Well, the one guy 
turned into a bizarre critter. He was yelling, screaming, cursing, hollering, badgering, harassing, make your bed, shine your shoe, blah, 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 clean the, you know, he just went from playing cards, reading comic books, eating some food to like this tyrant because he had a little bit of power. Mm. And that's what happens. You get a manager, a supervisor, a department head, a, whoever has subordinates, they, these folks get a little power and it goes to their head and they lose all perspective of who they're dealing with. You're dealing with people who you used to sit next to at lunch, breaking bread. Now they don't <laughs> break bread with you. <laughs> it, it, it's like the whole thing with animal farm. I'm remembering too. It's like people abuse power, power abuses people. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. And it seems like everybody's groveling to get in a position of power, especially when they can get in a position of power, which gives them power of definition, which gives them leadership, which gives them a vote. And they use that vote. Incidentally, the power of definition is very interesting. I always use this example. When is a beard a beard? Mm -hmm. Like, does a beard, like, if you don't shave for two days, stubble, is that a beard? Or does it have to be down to your belly button to be a beard? <laughs> like ZZ Top, yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, like ZZ Top. It, it, it's the power of definition. You know, you say this, I say that. We don't agree. Let's compromise. No, let's battle. Instead of compromise, negotiation, give and take, we battle, we confront, we badger, we belittle, we berate, we ridicule because you don't agree with me. Well, there you go. <laughs> and that's where we're falling apart. When I said uh, before about language being one thing uh, and connected to language is behavior, you know, and attitudes that people have uh, towards what they think is right. I'm right. And that's the only way it is. And that's not true. Because uh, as my father-in-law used to say, I thought I was wrong once, but I was mistaken. <laughs> I, I think I heard that line from somewhere. I can't remember who said it, but that was a good one, though. Yeah, he said it in jest. Not <laughs> not seriously, though. You know? Oh, um, my gosh. Yeah, that that is really interesting, too. And of course, uh, you have been a, a radio host as well, too. And uh, maybe a bit about that. And, um, you know, maybe you should be a radio host, too. It's just like, you know, Breaking Bread. I think we came up with a great idea. Well, I'd love to host my own show. I'm technologically challenged. I don't know the inner workings. Uh, everyone says it's easy. Just go to a website. Well, you know, I try that. That's like uh, whenever I stop and get directions from someone, you know, two blocks left, three blocks right, you can't miss it. I'm the guy that's going to miss it. So when someone says go to the website, follow the steps, I always get stuck with username and password because I can't create any more password. I don't know what I'm doing. So uh, I'd like to sort of ease or circuitously meander my way through somewhere to maybe someone's listening tonight that looks uh, needs a podcast or work with you on your show in a guest capacity uh, for uh, an hour a week, a half an hour, whatever you decide. I'm open to all that stuff uh, because I feel my message is so important. Like everybody who thinks they have something to say, but I know mine has value because it's time tested and I've, I've gotten good reception from those people to whom I've been able to deliver pieces uh, of my Breaking Bad mounds of manure.
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And what can we find all your um and what can we find all your works at in the meantime? And how can people get a hold of you? And um, how can people get some uh your words of wisdom, miles of manure or or whatever you have, the great stories. I mean, you shared some great stories tonight, a great way of breaking bread. Well, I don't have them. I do not, they're not assembled in any uh, compact. They're just saved files in Word. As I said before, I think during our conversation, I've been trying to get things published. I've been writing letters to the editor. I've been writing the book publishers. I haven't found, they haven't been able to catch up with me yet to what I'm doing. So the best way, I guess, uh, is to put it out there over the airwaves, of, of which there seems to be an abundance. But if someone wants me to send a copy of what I've sent you in the past, they can send me an email, and I'll I'll send it out right away. I don't, am I allowed to give my email address out over the year? You you you, you sure can. And of course, you know, and of course, I'm sure it's safe as well too. You know how to block out the scammers, the spammers, and um you know, the psychopaths and everything else, you can go and, um, you know, send out email and, um, well, and, and if they try to get you, it's like, would you like to break bread and see if you're real or not? So <laughs> all I'm doing, I'm not, I'm, I'm not selling anything in, unless I get it published. So I'm just offering it to someone who might have an interest in hearing some limited by the truth and facts stories that have meaning, significance, and are somewhat empowering as I see it. So you can send me an email and pick, uh, I can send you a sample. And if you're interested, I'll send more. Uh, there, obviously there's no cost, just an email click. And if there are, I don't know how people would try to scam or I don't know how that works. It, try to set you up in a other country to invest or contribute money or so, I don't know. Could you elaborate a little on that, Mike, on if, if there's people out there who are not a, a little unethical trying to get something, what would they be trying to get? It, personal it, information? It, and of course, you also be careful of personal information. And of course, you know, you can also give your email address as well, too. And, um, you know, what's a good way to uh, email or you could also... Um, they can shoot you a message through uh, Facebook and um, tell, tell everyone how can they reach you on Facebook. Well, Facebook, I love to, I look for your daily word that I can complete. I don't know if you read my response today, but your word was pet, P-E-T. Mm -hmm. And I put in U-L-A, Clark. It's, oh, but, yes, you had some clever ones. That's right. That's <laughs> more popular ones. In fact, I worked at a place where you sit down at break, nine o'clock, you break bread for 15 minutes. They're always asking me, what's your word of the day? You know, I tell them. Go to Facebook and look at my timeline. I don't need yeah. to tell you. Just go to my timeline. So, <laughs> well, actually, you just mentioned something very interesting. In a lot of workplaces, where do people meet? In the break room, mm -hmm. where they have a cup of coffee, juice, or a cookie. <laughs> yes, instead of Bre bread. Breaking bread in the break room. I like that. <laughs> We're not going to put the brakes on that. So, <laughs> <laughs> give me a break. Will you give me a yeah, break? Yeah, give me a break. One break coming up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, That's we have cool. all that. So, yes, you can look up um, Marty Ford on Facebook as well, too. Do your own research, by the way. You can get his information. We're here with um, Marty Thor, Marty Ford, businessman, educator, athlete, coach, author, military vet. 
Favreau, volunteer, graduate, also author on the Mike Widener Show. Grew up in Philadelphia, now in New Jersey. And um, Marty, just want to say it's been great breaking bread. And also we broke some new ground and everything else. And um, big thank you for your time. And um, let's do it again soon. And um, and once again, you know, just um, if you have a website, you can tell us. If you don't, it's okay. And um, how do people reach you? And, um, you know, what's the best way to break bread? Well, this is one way. This is wonderful. I will acquiesce to your desires, whatever you deem appropriate and timely. I will fit, fit it in. I know it's been a long time since we've been communicating. Uh, and the anticipation of doing this over the past month, many months uh, has been a real motivator for me because it gave me something to look forward to when I was be able to do it because uh, it was quite painful after those four surgeries. And I'm still in pain, but like everything else, you play through it and hope for the best. Mm -hmm. And certainly do as well, too. We're going to break bread with Marty for very soon. Encourage everybody to do that. Marty, a great, great conversation. Very big thank you for your time. You're welcome back anytime. Keep us up to date. Keep in touch. And look forward to having you again soon. you got some amazing stories and wish you all best and a great future have you. My sign-off is power up your power because the power is in you. That's how I sign off. I don't know if it's any good. Ha, ha, ha.